0: Good morning. Yes, you may be seated, but as I always say, you can stand if you want. I'm going to. Oh, fewer laughs than last time. That's okay. Those of you who haven't heard it ten times can appreciate it, I hope. I'm Kevin, and I'm one of the elders, and um, I get to uh, teach today and I'm excited about that because we've been going through vintage marriage, Well, we've been doing a, a sermon series on vintage marriage. And really what that is, is uh, you, you know, we use the word vintage because we're going back to really what marriage is. So we're looking at what God says marriage is. We're looking at what the Bible says marriage is. And what that does is it helps us know who Jesus is better. Because if we, if, we it's, it's if we know more about marriage, we actually learn a lot about Jesus. If we learn more about him, and we see him clearly, then we see our marriages more clearly. And the, and the cool thing about it is, since it's uh, about Jesus, then it speaks to anyone, I don't care if you're here and you're single, uh, then it's still gonna be, this is for you. If you're married, this is for you. So I'm excited about that. Um, we're on, I, I don't know if this is week five or six, but it's been really good, and we've got, Luke will be here next week to, um, I think to, to close out, the series, and it's going to be good. Um, it's been really challenging, though, I mean, to be honest with you, uh, because, you know, normally, uh, I, and I, I know that if we're really honest and, d- and dig down deep inside, we'll, we'll you know, we'll, we'll realize that we need help uh, in our marriages, but a lot of times what we do is we go into a marriage series thinking, this will be good for, and then you have a a, a name or a couple in your mind, and it isn't you, you know? Oh, this would be good for yeah. It would be good for them. Yeah, it'd be okay for me. It'd be a good review. I'm already pretty good at it, but but it turned out to be actually really challenging. Um, now i uh, I used to play football. I played football for one year. Why is that funny? That shouldn't surprise you at all. Played for one year. Literally. Literally, some of you know where that's from, uh, and I say that because I'd never played before and I never played since. So literally, one year, um, I just didn't grow up playing football. It's not that I, I just didn't have a, uh, a you know I didn't gravitate toward toward that game. I didn't have any problem with it and have any you know it's not that I hated it or anything. My dad used to watch it on TV. Of course, he was usually asleep, but. So there was no real, real reason, you know, that, that I, would, I would not like football. I just never played it. But the thing is, when I was 17 years old, or 16, I went out uh, my junior year to live with my dad. Now, my parents were divorced, and I lived with my mom, and it had been great. I mean, she was so sacrificial. She, she went to school and had a, a job that paid $6 an hour, a full-time. And she supported us three kids with that with that money, um, and, and she also went to school, she was, she was going to school to be a teacher, and she took care of us for many years, and then, but I was getting to that age where I wanted to, I wanted to live with my, my dad, and if, if there's anybody who, and, and you know, you're a guy, and, 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 and you've gone through this, you probably understand, you get to this age, you just need to be around a man, and I needed to be around my dad, I wanted to kind of be, I thought, hey, I'm, I'm becoming a man, you know, because I was 16. <laughs> In fact, I was thinking, I'm already a man. A man needs to live with a man. So I'm thinking, you know, we'll be roommates. I'll be roommates with my dad, and I'll become more of a man that way. So I'd moved out to New Deal, and this was a little uh, podunk town. Now they have a sewer system now. They're, they're, yeah, they're they're moving up. I think they, they had to to get a subway. So anyway, uh, they it, but but it's a little town, so you, you get that right. Um, it's a two way. So if you if you're familiar with football and all the different, category, you know, it's a small school. It's a two way. Now it had it had a normal sized team, eleven man. That is how many, right? But anyway. It wasn't six-man football. So, anyways, it's a regular team, uh, football team, but it's two-way. So you play all these other schools that are about the same size. Towns with names kind of like Shallow Water, you know, uh, with names kind of like, what's another one? Seymour. Just these, you know, Earth. You know, those types of, yeah, there's an Earth, Texas. Yeah. It's an original name, isn't it? So, you know, you play teams like that, and they're all 2 way too, also. And, and so I went out there, and the deal was, even though I've never played football before, I decided, I'm going to do this. I'm going to play, I'm going to join the team. If you lived in New Deal, and you were a guy, and you were you know, in high school, you, you played football. That's just what you did. Unless you were part of what they called the Strawberry Gang. That was a group of very bold young men who had decided um, that they were going to buck the system and not play football. Of course, they were ostracized and labeled the strawberry gang. I have no idea where the strawberry came from. And, you know, they were hazed a little bit. And, and, uh, anyway, so part of it was not just courage and everything, but I was like, I don't want to be that. I don't want to go to a new school. And instantly I'm, I'm a strawberry. I want to be, you know, I want to be like, I want to be in, in the crowd. So you do play football. And basically the tryout system for football is you show up and then you do what they tell you. And you're you're on the team. I mean, they don't have a lot to choose from. Now, it sounds like you would think that we were probably not a very good team. Actually, we were. And I didn't realize this till I got into the culture a little bit more, but these this group of guys who had been on who were on the team that I was joining as soon as they were born, their dad stuck a football in their hand. I don't know. Maybe their dad, you know, grabbed them like a football, you know, tossed them. I mean, they, they ate, slept, talked football. That's all that they knew from the time that they were, you know, little kids born until, until I got there. And they were, they were juniors and seniors. So they knew the game pretty well. And football was so important out there. Listen, during football season, if you got caught with a basketball, like if coach drove by, and it'd be real easy to do because it's a small town, and he saw you shooting baskets, he was going to run you at practice. You're in trouble. He didn't want you to hold a basketball. It's the wrong shape. Now you can hold a football. You could be sitting in English class with a football. That was okay. But you were not to touch basketball. You were not to run track. You were not to do things like that during football season. You were to play football. And you were to think about football. And that was what I had gotten into. Now remember my first day of two-a-days. And two-a-days is basically where you, you, you go out in the hot, hot sun. So imagine, you know, hot West Texas sun. And you practice two times a day. You practice really hard in the morning, then... You, you might know eat or just lay there, and then you practice really, really hard in the afternoon. And you do that for a couple of weeks, two or three weeks. And I didn't see, I didn't know that was part of the deal. I was thinking, hmm, oh, we have a little, I had no idea of the commitment. I was thinking, yeah, you know, you practice during the, uh, you know, the athletic, you know, period during the day, the little block. And then, uh, you know, a little after school or whatever, and, and we'll start when school starts. But I was wrong. I was wrong. When that first day that we started that, I thought, what have I gotten myself into? I don't want to quit now. I mean, we're out there. It looked weird because we have our shorts on, but pads. So we look kind of, we, we don't look, we look kind of deformed. I mean, we had little skinny legs and big pads and, and helmets. So the coach is out there. We're, we're already wearing our helmets, you know, running around. He wants us to get used to what that feels like. It doesn't feel great. And, so that's, that's, what I, that's what I thought. I thought, oh man, I, I thought this was going to be a good thing. What have I gotten myself into? Um, I'm being tortured twice a day. And I started to ask myself questions. Because this forced me to think about some things. You see, now we're doing vintage marriage. So let, let's just shift to that for a second. Let's, let, me, let me ask you a question. What is... The purpose of your marriage. Just think about that for, for a second. I mean, if you had to write it down, the purpose of my marriage is, or the purpose, if you're single, the purpose of marriage is. I mean, what scriptures would you draw from if you did? If you're single and you're, you know, you're thinking of getting married, then you, it's, it's good for you to think about that. It's good for you to be able to answer that question. Or if, if, you're, if you're single and you don't know if you're going to get married, but you're in community, then you could ask yourself, what is the purpose of the community I'm in? the people around me, the the people that God's put in my life and that he's put put me in their life, what is the purpose of it? See, when I joined that football team, I wasn't like, these, these guys grew up understanding what being on a team is like. But when I joined the football team, it was a little bit of a culture shock. It was the first time that I'd ever worked that hard for somebody else other than me. Because suddenly, <laughs> I was having to do things I didn't want to do. And it, and it turned out that what I, what I wanted and my, my desires and my plans for that particular day, they, weren't the, the, they didn't matter all that much to the coach. He had another plan for me. I mean, I was used to entertaining myself. Uh, you know, and, and I already have introverted tendencies. Okay, so I like hanging out with myself. I consider myself a team player. Me, myself, and I, we make a great team. We play well together. So if, I, if someone asked me, well, what's your purpose, Kevin? What's your purpose? I'd probably say, I don't know at first. Someone said, What's your purpose? I don't know. And then I might, I might kind of regurgitate something like, well, my uh, purpose is to, uh, I don't know, to follow my dreams, to uh, have goals, to reach them. You know, things he, like, you know, that I would have heard in, in maybe some motivational, uh, from a motivational speaker or something like in school. Sometimes they put on these programs, you know, be all that you can be, you know, unlock the giant within. Or I, um, something like follow your heart or, Or that—that's probably what I would say. Or something like, you know, be happy and be a good person. You know, to quote Steve Martin in *Dirty Rotten Scoundrels*, "It is better to be kind and good than to not." So that's probably what I would say. Very profound. And if I wrote the mission statement for my life, I actually went that far and wrote a mission statement. It probably sounds something like this. I wrote it out. Okay. I will work as hard as possible. Sounds good so far. To get my life to a place where I can be as happy as possible by doing as little as possible as soon as possible. I added some clauses like anyone who can help me accomplish this is on my team. And another clause, anyone who gets in the way of this should be opposed. They're on the other team. See, I am a real team player. (laughs) And that sounds funny, but here's the thing. If you're not in Christ, that is your mission. That's your, you may not have written it out, (laughs) but that's what you're all about. That's what I was all about. That's how, that's what we're born being all about. If You're not in Christ. That is what you're about. You are about... Working as hard as possible to get to a place where you can be as happy as possible. Doing as little as possible, as soon as possible. And those people who help you are on your side. And those people who oppose you, they are to be opposed. And that's really, that's our sin nature. We're, we can't have it. we're born like that. And it started in the garden. Um, that's, that's how it began. The, the devil came around to Adam and Eve. It said the Bible serpent. Uh, You know, whispered things to Eve, lies about God, saying um, that God wasn't good, uh, God didn't have their their best interests at heart, that their plan would work better, and they fell for the lie, and uh, it was a lie. And so, because of that, we're born really with that mission being at the core of our being. And if you're not in Christ and you get married, here's the tricky thing. This will still be your mission. That'll still be it. Which makes a marriage the, the task, you know, it gives you the, an impossible task in marriage. If that's your mission in life and you two get together and you get married, then you have the impossible task of making your spouse happy and the impossible, they have the impossible task of making you happy you can't do it because you're both, you both saying to yourselves, I am God, this is my world. The devil told Eve, you will be, if you eat of it, you will be like God. So Adam and Eve thought, okay, we want to be like God. But they were already made in God's image. So they ignored that and then they went ahead and, and they took things in their own hands. So this is what we do. And so uh, if you are, if you're not in Christ and you're married, then there's instant conflict in that way because you have opposing missions. Life per- missions. You're, you're opposing each other naturally. And then only at points of compromise can you make that work. And for how long? I mean, some people do that for a lifetime. But But if you're in Christ, then your marriage has a new purpose. I want to look at ephesians five thirty one because we want to talk about that purpose. I want to talk about what what the Bible says the purpose of marriage is ephesians five thirty one through thirty two therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and i 'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church okay so uh, what, what Paul's doing there is he's really he's quoting Genesis because Genesis says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold his wife. And remember, we've been, we've been uh, citing Genesis a lot and looking at Genesis because really to understand marriage and even to understand the Bible, you have to, you have to go to Genesis. I mean, it, it, if not, you're going to be missing some important things. He's quoting it. And then he says, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So, the pur- a purpose of marriage is to demonstrate the gospel, and that glorifies God. So, and now, and we've, we've talked about that. We've talked about how it's a picture of the gospel. See, marriage, the way God designed it, it images Himself. Because we know that God is, God, is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that they're all in distinctly different roles, the three persons of the Godhead, but they're all one. Remember how the Bible in Genesis says and the two and the two will become one flesh that's what it says here in in Ephesians the two will become one flesh so they're one well, God's that way too God and he that's how he created man and woman to be to when they when they get married they become one flesh they're one, but they have distinct roles so marriage the way God designed it it is to image him it's really to look like him if, if people look people uh who who aren't in Christ, who don't know Jesus, and they look at your marriage, they should be able to tell something about God just by your marriage. And really, since God designed marriage, simply by the fact that you are married is partly imaging God because human beings did not invent marriage. God did. And the purpose is to demonstrate the gospel as well. So the gospel, because Paul says, well, this is Christ in the church. What does that mean? Well, uh, Jesus is our bridegroom, the Bible tells us. And that makes us the bride. And the bridegroom la- lays, laid and continues laying his life down. He continues giving up his, us his life. He, he laid his life down for his bride with, with an ultimate uh, sacrifice. And, and then he washes her, the Bible says, with, with the word. It makes, it makes her holy, sets her apart, and it continues making her holy. So uh, that's a great picture of marriage because we're, we've been told that that's what husbands do. So if you're in Christ, you have been set apart for a new purpose, but that doesn't stop there. You've been sanctified. I want to read um, Ephesians 5.25-27. through 27. So we're going we're gonna to start using a word that uh, uh, over and over again that some of you are real familiar with and understand. And then some of you might just think it sounds like a churchy word and it's the word sanctify. You know, it rhymes with glorify, testify. You know, they all sound like to me church words that I grew up with, with and not really understanding what they mean. So let's see what it says in Ephesians. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he may that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So it says in twenty six that he might sanctify her. Sanctify means to set apart. That's what sanctify means. So when you hear the word sanctify and or sanctification, it means the process of being set apart or it means to be set apart. And so he tells us uh, in Ephesians that, that that's what Christ did with the church. That's what Christ did with us. But it doesn't stop there. Let's read 2 Corinthians. I want to look at Second Corinthians three eighteen. These these two scriptures together are going to help us understand uh, what sanctification really means. So when we're using the word sanctification, marriage is for sanctification. You know, we understand. We, we, we might read that in the book or hear that, but let's 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 see what that actually means. Um, verse eighteen, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. So this describes a continuous changing and and growing and being transformed, actually changed into the likeness of God, into the likeness of Christ. So it happens on a daily basis. It happens all the time. Um, and, you, you know, when I, when I showed up on that, on that football team, I have to tell you, I'm not a natural. I mean, it was very unnatural. I pulled both my groin muscles, both of them. I didn't know I had those. I could not, I could hardly walk for quite a while. And I remember how weird it felt to put on pads and the jersey. I kind of liked how it looked because i look in the mirror and be like, I look big, you know, because the shoulders come out. You know, in the 80s, people were doing that with just their regular clothes, right? They'd have like a jacket with big old pads. And... Of course, everyone on my team had a mullet. Unless, well, some of them had buzz cuts and, and stuff like that, crew cuts. But, but, but if they were wild and crazy, they had a mullet, right? Curly on top, straight and sticking up on, on... I mean, curly in the back, straight and sticking up on top. Jeff knows about that. Where's Jeff? Okay. He doesn't have one now, but he's got some great pictures on Facebook. So, kind of brushed out in front. Anyway, this is the guys... So I, so, I want you to imagine the team. Now, these guys are serious. They've been playing all their life. So, but I, I haven't. I haven't been. So, it's kind of like... Imagine a guy just picking up a guitar and trying to play it, and he's never played it before, you know. Or someone opening the hood of a car and getting in there and just pulling, you know, you're going to tune it up, but you've never even looked at a car engine. That was me. They were so lucky to have me. My dad was a teacher out there, so he was really proud. Oh, good, Kevin's going to fit in. He won't be in the strawberry gang, you know. He didn't want that. And... You know you put on these pads and and, and and everything seems foreign the shoes the little the cleats you know you're running around out there on the grass and you know after after a couple of days the uh the jersey and the uh you know the uh, the, the undershirt and everything it starts to get a little funky. You can wash it and boy our coach he would he'd get onto us if we didn't but That didn't really get it all out. I mean, you really need some industrial strength detergent or something to get that out. It always smelled a little ripe. There were always some stains you couldn't get out. And I'm telling you, I've never perspired that much in my life. I used to think it was hard to mow the lawn. My mom would be like, mow the lawn? I was so lazy. (laughs) Oh, man. I mow half of it. And then I'd go in, oh, Thursday, I need a glass of tea. i go, so, so imagine this is me and I'm out there and, and I'm thinking I'm gonna become a man. Well, it was quite a shock. And these guys, are, these guys are serious. They are working hard. This is all they think about. And I'm telling you, I begin to change. So you can see it would be a process uh, over a year of my life that even though day by day, I might not could really see the change. I don't think I ever felt like I was better than I was yesterday. Like I'm better today than I was yesterday. I don't think so. But I do know that eight months, nine months later, I was better than I was when I started. Because you you could measure it that way. And so it, it it was a process of changing from one thing into another. And, and so really, in a, in, a, in a way, I was being set apart for a different purpose, to play football, to be on the football team, to be a part of this thing that was bigger than me. And I was used to just being me and letting it be all about me and my other two friends, myself and I, and my thoughts and my dreams and, you know. And now it was about someone else's dream, my coach's dream to win state championship, which he cared very much about. And so did all the guys. They'd been growing up. This was a, this is actually a sort of a dream team. They were bigger and stronger than, and than any uh, class that had, had been at, at least in it, anyone's recent memory at New Deal High School. It was the biggest graduating class even that we had ever had. It was 45. The year before, zero, It's possible. So if you're married, here's the thing, your spouse is the first and most important that was a hard word to get out. Most important point of contact for that to happen. Now, when I was on the football team, my teammates around me, they were the most important they were the they were the ones I was coming into contact with literally. Like sometimes in a really uncomfortable way, you know. I was like, Really, is this how we do the shower thing? Where are the stalls? Evidently, you don't need those. Just a pole with a bunch of spouts. So, get a little closer than I expected of these guys. So, and then in practice, of course, there's a lot of contact in practice. So these guys are, so. If you're not married, if you're if you're not if you're single, then the, 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 your community around you, those are the people. Your those are the, the your first and most important, uh, con, you know, points of contact for, for this changing to take place. But if you're married, it's your husband or, or it's your wife. First, most important, more important than anyone else. As far as because why? Because and I'll reiterate it again. As Luke pointed out, they're the ones that know you the best. That's the way God designed it. And um, as I was as I gave uh, an, an illustration with the ramp and dropping in and stuff. When one person's riding the ramp, the other person's sitting on the side and watching. They can see things that you can't see when you're doing it. When you're playing football, the coach is on the side. They can see what you're doing better than you can see what you're doing. So your husband or wife is that person looking in. They can see better than anyone else. And if not, that needs to change. They need to be able to see better than anyone else. And so, your husband or wife is that first point. And so, acting in our distinct biblical roles in marriage, when, and we've, in the last three uh, sermons, that's what we've been talking about. We help each other change, we bump into each other, we uh, push each other, we encourage each other. Um, You know, when someone is spotting someone who's lifting weights, it's amazing how much better you can lift when you're like, you're shaking. If you're by yourself, you might just give up. But that person standing above you and their fingers are under the pole and they're just kind of, they're not really lifting, but they're going, come on, come on, come on, come on, you can do it. For some reason, it's easier. They're not really lifting it, but just the fact that they're there. So you're doing that with each other. Now, just like my purpose for being on that football team was no longer about me, neither is you being married only about you anymore. If, it's, if you're in Christ and, this, and, you're, and you understand God's design for marriage, then it isn't about, it isn't about that anymore. Remember how I thought, oh, be happy, that's my goal. Well, then what is it? Because we could stop there. And listen, a lot of times, that's, that's what we do. And, and I'm, t- I'm saying we, I mean the church. When we're teaching about marriage, we often stop right at how to have a better marriage. Just as if the purpose of marriage is to have a good marriage. But that actually isn't what the Bible teaches us. So, same thing if if a football player is their only purpose to become a better football player is that the only reason they're doing it that would be kind of weird wouldn't it so what is the purpose of the football player of the guy on the team why is it important for him to even get any better why was it important for me to learn how to play the game It started with Adam and Eve. It started in Genesis. And I'm not going there right now, but we've read it. In the Bible, in Genesis, God tells Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. Take dominion and subdue the, the earth. That's, that's, that was, that's what was given to them. And, and really, when, he, when uh, God created Adam, he put him in the garden to work it. And then said, oh, he needs a suitable helper, a helper to help him work it and to help him really to do the, the, the first great commission in a way. But then we know in Matthew it was, it, was, it was further explained to us what the great commission is, and that is to make disciples of all nations. So, we have further clarification for the purpose of, of disciples of Jesus. Now, you say, well, our purpose is to glorify God. Yes. God is glorified when we image Him, when we point to the gospel, when we, when people look at us and they, they know more of who He is in His goodness in his grace, in his greatness, in his gloriousness, in his glory, then he is glorified. Our purpose is to glorify him. And we do that by making disciples who make disciples, by imaging him, by demonstrating the gospel with our lives and our marriages. So if you're single and you're going, well, but I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not married. All these principles of marriage apply to you. It's amazing. I mean, the only difference is that your spouse is not the, is not the first and most important point of contact, but that's because you don't have a spouse yet. Uh, and so it, it, it becomes your community. The people around you. Um, <clears throat> and of course, um, you know, you, you must have that. You really must. I mean, when God says for man to be alone, He is He is saying that in the context of giving him a wife, giving you know, giving him a woman, uh, a helpmate. But it simply is true that it's not good for man to be alone. That's just a simple truth. And so, if you are a person, I mean, if you're if you're out of con- of com- community and you're disconnected. That's like a football player without a team. I mean, you're not coming in contact with anyone. The Bible says iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. How do you, can you sharpen yourself? I guess, I don't know. I'm imagining a sword or something, you know. The sword bends and... I mean, how do you... You realize that that is how we typically um, measure ourselves and our growth by ourself. That's typically how we do it. We don't go to the Word of God and then we don't let other people around us point to the Word of God to help us measure where we are. But that isn't, that isn't healthy. And your temptation is going to be to avoid it. You single uh, people, especially because, listen, you haven't made the commitment that two married people make to each other. So you're you're, you're you're getting in the community, but your temptation is going to be, I'm going to stick around as long as it's fun. As long as I really enjoy it and nobody gets on my nerves, I'm going to stay. As Soon as someone gets on my nerves or ticks me off, I, I probably won't come around as much or I'll avoid that person. Or if the teaching, you know, if you're in a missional community and you're and you're single and, and maybe the teaching comes across and you don't understand it or, or it's challenging to you, then you, then you don't come back, you you stay away. That's going to be a temptation. It's really going to be a temptation. It's temptation for married couples as well, but but as far as this sanctifying each other, for the single person, it's going to be really tempting because you're a free agent. I'm single. I'm free. I make my own rules. I make my own schedule. Me, myself, and I make a great team. And I don't mind joining you as long as you help me with my goal of making me happy. I'm just telling you that's a temptation. How do I know? Because that's exactly how I thought. And I even thought that way into my marriage. You can imagine how disastrous that can be. So acting with our distinct roles in marriage, it helps us fulfill the Great Commission. It helps us be disciples of Jesus who make disciples. See, Rebecca helps me with that. Because I told you I have introverted tendencies. So she might might, uh, encourage me to call somebody on the phone. Really? That's almost face to face. You want me to talk? I'll just text them. Why? So I can get to know them and build a relationship with them. So they can, they can, how can they ever see Jesus or or the gospel or or anything in my life, marriage, and marriage if they don't ever see it? (laughs) So she can encourage me in that. See, if without that, I would need somebody to encourage me. But Rebecca knows me better than anybody else. She knows exactly when I'm doing that and when I'm not. Moving in our distinct roles helps us believe the gospel with each other. See, we need to help each other believe the gospel. Here's the thing. I when I first started you know on that football team, I really I started losing hope immediately that I was ever going to be able to do it. And I needed people to let me know that it was actually physically possible for me not to drop that football or to run the wrong way. It was possible. They could show me how to hold it, how not to hold it, how to throw it. I never was good at that. How to catch it. Uh, How to exercise correctly, how to eat, how not to pull your groin muscles. So we need that with each other. And, in, and within our roles as head and, and helpmate, we sharpen each other. Here's the interesting thing, though. It was surprisingly fun and fulfilling to work that hard I mean, yeah, my flesh, my flesh, you know, like, I hate it, you know. You're running and anything to have to stop, you know, or 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 we're doing the. the, I mean, my my coach was an expert at thinking of exercises that just were. It was like a form of torture, you know. You're like, I think I I think I I I pulled my groin muscles by doing by doing this thing over and over again, and evidently I, I just you know my body wasn't used to doing this, so. Or running, you know, with your hands and legs without your knees touching the ground. Who thinks of stuff like that? Running to one line. There's a bunch of lines on the field. Running to a line and then running back and then the next line and then running back. I mean, that's just torture. And you're looking at all the lines. I mean, but there was was an interesting thing that began to happen to me where I began to enjoy the work Not because it felt good at the time necessarily, but because I started to feel good about being a part of a team and being a part of this thing that was bigger than me. This will happen as you and your spouse, or if you're single, you and and your community get really good at doing this with each other it's going to really be un- uncomfortable at first and painful because people are going to know you're not perfect any- anymore. I mean, the, the people that I am uh, doing this with the most, the- and Rebecca being the, the one that I'm closest with, she's my wife, um, that's when it gets... <clears throat> Difficult for the, for you to let them see your faults. I mean, it was a little embarrassing when I was a football player and I didn't know how to—I didn't even know how the game worked. You know, why was the coach so mad that I was out there and I was a twelfth guy on the field? You know, boy, he, his face turned different colors. He's amazing. He would put his diet coke down for that. But uh, you know, it's embarrassing. So when you at first, it's going to be a little painful. It's going to be embarrassing. You're going to be you're going to be showing some sides of you that show you to be weak with your spouse. But I wanted to play well because I was not going to be the only one to benefit from it. I mean, even when I didn't feel like working hard, I wanted. I went ahead and I did. And I thought, this is gonna be great because I'll be part of the team. Maybe I could actually be a part of the team winning a game. Wouldn't that be awesome? It helped me learn how to respond to criticism. Because I don't know if, you know if you've ever played a team sport or you know, been on a football team. Uh, the coaches, um, they, they have a way of, of um, how do I say, it? critiquing your performance that doesn't always feel warm and fuzzy. You know, they don't always, as we say, sandwich it between two encouragements. They don't tell you something you're really good at first before they, you know, give you a little criticism, do they? No. You have to get used to that. Now, they talk to you uh, in a a way I wasn't quite, you know, really used to. (laughs) I was like, what? (laughs) You know, I can't believe you said that about, what, you know. Quit sucking your shoelaces, you know. My mom never said that to me. So you learn how to respond to criticism better. So now I'm not suggesting that you tell your uh, husband or wife that, but listen, as you get better at this, you're going to learn how to shoot straight. And you're going to learn how not to take offense and let bitterness grow in your heart because you're going to realize as David said, let a righteous man smite me. It's a kindness. Let him rebuke me. I will not spur, spurn that rebuke. It's a kindness. And, you know, I keep saying over and over again within our distinct roles, because we have talked about headship and, and help mating and all of that. Well, think about a football team. It's the same thing. We had a quarterback, obviously, and I was not him. So what if I just started doing quarterback things, you know, yelling out plays when it's his turn to yell out plays? Can you imagine what that would be like? Or what if I just jumped up there on the line, you know, this may surprise you, I'm not a lineman. So what if I just jumped up there on the line? All right, let's go. We have our, it, you know, the football team, each, each team member has his distinct role and it's really important that they learn how to stay within them with very, very little deviation. Very little. Boy, I tell you, I, I mean, there were a few things that made my coach angry. Dipping snuff during practice. Playing basketball during football season. Putting 12 men on the field and doing somebody else's job instead of yours. Boy, he would change colors over that. Because he was teaching us, we need the center. We need the lineman. We need the quarterback. We need those people to be those people. Well, the quarterback, he gets a lot more, you know, of glamour and a lot more, you know, uh, recognition and things like that. Uh, but him, him without the team, what kind of a team would that be? So the team has a built-in incentive, really, to, to stick to their job because if they do, they win the game. If they don't, they, they can lose. Uh, let's, let's look at Philippians 2, 2 3 through 7. being born in the likeness of men. So I love this scripture because it really helps us know what the motivation is. See, I'm talking about being motivated on a team and that motivation is to win the game. But our motivation as those who are in Christ, it comes from the cross. According to, I mean, according to the scripture, and this, especially this one here in Philippians, it comes from the cross. Because he counted us more significant. I would say he did, didn't he? I mean, it, you know, he, went, he died on the cross. He didn't sin, but he went ahead and took our punishment. He counted us more significant than himself, including God. He did not consider himself it says, he did not consider or count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He was God. There's no there's no hierarchy of deity in the Trinity. It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, are God. But still, even though He technically could have, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But He emptied Himself, so that. That's better motivation. That's better motivation than um, I just want to have a good marriage. We want to win the game of life, and we want to end the, you know we want to end this thing with a great marriage because then that's then we win. But really, the win is when your marriage images the gospel and looks like this, where we empty ourselves out. And count others more significant. Not, you have to be careful here. Not just as significant. We would, that's how we would rewrite it if we were rewriting it. We would say, let each of you not look only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this in mind. Um, and then, oh, oh yeah. Uh, but in humility, count others just as significant as yourselves. That sounds, it sounds good at first, but that's not what it says. It says, more significant. Man, that's hard. Listen, in your marriage with your spouse, isn't it easier to count them as significant as yourself? Don't we always expect our spouse to come halfway, and if they do, we'll go the other half? or we'll go the other half if they'll come halfway, but that's actually not what it says. We're actually to go all the way because we're not expecting that equality. Even though we are both created in the image of God and are equal in value and calling and, and glory, as, uh, but we're not gonna, we're not going to count it something to be grasped. We're going to go all the way. Imagine what? Imagine a a marriage where both husband and wife do that with each other. Both of them. Husband goes all the way to wife. Wife goes all the way to husband pouring themselves out, emptying. Empty, I like that. It doesn't just say pouring out because pouring out could sound like you have a little left but empty means empty. Nothing left i got to save a little energy for myself. i got to save a little. I struggle with that. Rebecca and I, um, Rebecca knows this, that I, one of my biggest struggles is I do not want to empty myself out so that I end up with no me time, alone time, time where I get to be with my other two friends, me and myself, myself and I, whatever, you know. And we're just hanging out together, and I always act like I need. I have you tell. That's how God made me. I can't help it. Well, yeah, I know I have this thing in my personality that gives me these tendencies. But the gospel says that I don't. That I'm free from that. I don't even have to protect that anymore. I don't have to protect my alone time. Oh, but Lord, what if? What if I don't get it? I'm gonna go insane. I sometimes really am convinced. Now, some of you don't struggle with that. You see, you struggle with maybe the opposite. You want people time. I want, to be with, I want to be with other people all the time. I want to be with my friends all the time. I want to be with this friend, that friend, that friend, and I'm not giving that up. I won't give that up. If I do, I'm going to go insane. I got to have it. So you're, you're kind of the opposite of me. Man, that, that's a real struggle with it. So Rebecca, she can sharpen me that way because she can remind me, oh yeah, the gospel frees you from having to clamor for your own pleasure, comfort, and rest because Jesus is your rest. He emptied himself out for you. If you're in community and, and, you're, and you're single, it, it can work the same way. You know? Hey, uh, see, this is the old kind of phone. Like back in the day, you do this to talk on the phone. Now it's, I guess it's like that, like that. flat thing. It's just flat now. So when I was a kid, we had a dial. So anyway, what do you call that thing? All right, so, so you're on the phone, like you, you, you're up there, uh, you're gathering or something, you know, uh, your missional community decide to get together and then you call, hey, how come, where are you? I don't know. you know. So-and-so, how come you're not here? You're normally here. What's going on? Oh, yeah, I'm tired. I had to work, you know. Okay. Sorry about that. Yeah, if I don't get sleep now, I'll be tired tomorrow. Okay. All right. So then here's, here's where you do the hard, the hard work with your, you know, your community. Friend, hey, guess what? You need this time with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And Jesus is your rest. You might be tired tomorrow, but he's still your rest. You don't have to clamber around for, you know, to make sure you have energy all the time. You know, what are you going to lose? Do you, do you feel like you're going to you know, somehow in control of your life? Who's really in control? The Bible says we plan, but God orders our steps. I really wish you were here. See? Ooh, that's hard work. And then, I don't know. They hang up. I don't know. Maybe they receive it. See, that's how that can work. Uh, when Rebecca and I first got married, first conflict that we had was about food. I noticed one of the first dates we had, I went to, we went to a restaurant, it was a Mexican food restaurant, and I ordered this big old combo plate, you know, of everything. And then she ordered, she had a big plate and a little tiny burrito on it, like a little tiny burrito. And she was just eating it. And she didn't really eat it all. I thought, wow, she doesn't eat much. Not a big eater. But that wasn't the conflict. The conflict was, turned out she had braces and didn't want the, the food to get in her braces. <laughs> so um, anyway, the, our conflict was the first time she reached over and grabbed something off my plate. <laughs> without asking. Even if she asks and she could see it in me, I hate it. I've, I've really been working on that. Now, I have what I always believe to be the perfect amount of food on my plate for me. I don't really have any to spare. I need all that food to go in me. And if she takes a bite, I'm going to have less. It's, it's funny. It's amazing. I didn't realize that was in me because I never had anybody taking food on my plate until I met Rebecca. So immediately, she began sharpening me. She's asking me, what's the big deal? Why are you all so upset? And I had to ask, why am I so upset about that? Sometimes we would order food. She would come in with the bag, set it down. I would open it up and there's a bite already out of it. She had gotten it on the way, like in the car. She put, wraps it up, puts it back in the bag. We'd go to the movies and I would get my, you know, 45 ounce or 44 ounce Coke. For me, I need all 44 ounces. And she would say, no, I don't want anything to drink. Would you like something to drink? No, no, I don't need anything. Well, now I know why she didn't need anything. She drank mine. She would just reach over and just get out of my straw. So I'm like, oh, now I, I think I probably only have 32 ounces. Of now. One time she picked it up by the lid while we were watching Titanic and spilled it on my lap. In the middle of the scene where he's in the ocean, dr- Dying. <laughs> Cold. It was really cold for the rest of the movie. Because there's, there's a little bit more of the movie after that. As you know, it's, a, it's an unusually long movie. And see, it does, that's, just a little, that's just a little picture of what's really wrong in me <laughs> that needs transformation. Because I'm like that with a lot of things, it turns out. In a lot of areas of my life, not just food. It's with my time. It's with my things that I feel like I need to protect my privacy, you know, sentimental things. It turns out I've been protected, you know, trying to protect those things. When really the gospel frees me from even needing to protect myself at all. I am protected. God is my shield, He's my refuge. He is. He's my help in time of need. So, I'm about to close here, but I wanted to give another, just a little example of a conflict that might be um, something that you might deal with in a a way that we deal with, with it that's wrong Have you ever bargained? Have you ever done sin bargaining? Because I, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. Like, this wrestling with each other and, and you know, having conflict with each other and sanctifying each other. Sometimes we fall into a thing called sin bargaining. Well, I don't know if that's what it's called. It's what I call it. Uh, it's where you allow your spouse to have a sin if they'll allow you to have one. You ever done that? You don't have to say it out loud. I mean, it it, it can go something like this. It, all right, if you'll let me have my six Starbucks coffees a week, I'll let you have your three Menchie's. You know. Or. You know if if you if if you'll let me have my if you'll let me have my alone time that I, that I need instead of doing something I need to do as a father and a, and, a, and, a, and a husband, then I'll let you go. You know, I won't complain, basically. You can go off, you know, go off to the pool or whatever and do your thing. Now, it, it, those things are not bad things. I know that coffee is a very good thing. I believe that with all my heart. Rebecca believes that Menchies is a very, very good thing. I believe she believes that. So those things aren't bad. The problem is, is when we're avoiding sanctification, we're avoiding transformation of being uh, more, looking more like Christ by bargaining with each other with the sin. It doesn't make it less of a sin. It just makes you both comfortable with it. That's not a good thing to do. It's better for you to be uncomfortable with the sin. So if your spouse is making you uncomfortable with your sin, that's a good thing. It's a bad thing if they're helping you be comfortable with it. Well, it sounds kind of like a downer, you know. I talked about um, being on the team and how much hard work it was and how I pulled my groin muscles and it was, you know, it was so hard, it was so terrible. It actually was one of the greatest joys of my life. I'm really glad, now I never want to do it again, and I never did as soon as it was over. We almost won state championship. Well, almost, we got to um, the semifinals game. If we'd won that game, we would have gone to the championship game. We actually scored in that game, so it wasn't a blowout. We had blown every team out before that, and we lost that game by seven or, or something like that, points, and, and, um, and so, you know, it's heartbreaking for my coach he retired after that. I guess he figured oh, I can't do it with this team, can't ever do it. <laughs> and then he became the superintendent. Um, and then, you know, one of those towns that has either you're the sheriff, the mayor, or the super. <laughs> he was the coach, the superintendent. He actually lived on campus, kind of weird. Um, but it was, a, it was a great joy to almost win, to, to be a part of the team. No, I wasn't the natural athlete, the one that was really pushing the plot, but I was part of the team and I really was. What a joy that was. Yeah, it hurt a lot. There were a lot of uncomfortable uh, moments. (laughs) But the joy of it, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Well, that's what Jesus said. That's what he said in the garden. I wouldn't trade this for anything. Your will, not mine. He was talking to his father. I don't want to do this, Lord. This is going to be horrific. Physically, spiritually, mentally, every in every way. I'm gonna hate this. But the Bible says he did it for the joy set before him. And that joy, that's real. That's not fake joy. That's real. Psalm sixteen eleven says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In Christ we have fullness of joy. I mean, didn't he say in Matthew at the end, uh, after the, in the Great Commission, Behold, I am with you always to the ends of the earth, or to the end of the age. I always say earth, but it's end of the age. Behold, I am with you always. I'm with you always, and at my right hand are pleasures forevermore, and fullness of joy. And I'm with you. You have joy. You have joy, even if you see. Sometimes you 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 don't perceive the joy the way that you think it should be perceived because you're in the middle of the workout, or you're you're feeling the pain. But we're people who, who walk by faith, not by sight, and not by our senses. So even if we're feeling pain, we see with faith, oh yeah, we have joy. Oh yeah, I do. It may be set before me, but I have it.